0: welcome this is the rip griffin show podcast a baseball podcast for baseball fans of all ages now here's your host rip griffin hey everyone how's it going thanks for listening to the show on this week's episode we are going to be continuing our 2020s season preview. This week, I'm going to be covering the American League West. But before I get into to everything, I'm recording this episode on Easter Sunday. So happy Easter to all those out there that are listening. I know it's a kind of an unusual holiday, but we still have reason to be thankful and to be joyful. Uh, eventually, we will be able to get out and to socialize with all of our friends and our family and just kind of come together uh, and to celebrate all the holidays that we've kind of missed and all the occasions that we missed, but we just got to continue to keep pushing through. We will, we will prevail. We will be able to get back to, to normal and hopefully we will actually get back to having some baseball soon. So with that, we have kind of been going through each of these divisions and seeing what every team has done in the way of improving their rosters within the ult- to win the ultimate prize, which is the World Series. We have seen some teams make significant improvements whether it be to their pitching rotations or they have added a key bat or two to boost their offense. We have seen teams that have stayed the course with their current roster hoping that this roster will be able to produce and win games. We have also seen teams that are in a full reboot rebuild mode uh, which is okay. Uh, that That's kind of the uh, in today's baseball we have actually seen teams that have stripped down their rosters and use that to rebuild within their farm systems uh, so they will be able to be com- competitive in future years and so far it it seems to work uh, teams in the american League west are a prime example of these techniques there are a lot of people out there that oppose this style which i mean rightfully slow and i the fans are the ones that seem to to oppose this the most because they want to be able to see their team play the best they can be every season. And they get really sick of seeing their teams lose all the time because when you look at it, the fans have a vested interest within this organization and a lot of fan bases are pretty passionate about the, the game itself, including their, their, their teams. So uh, I can kind of side with the fans when uh, you know they don't want to see their team lose. But sometimes these the, the teardown method needs to be done so that you know these teams can be competitive and they can compete for you know a postseason berth or you know they get to the World Series. So so with that uh, just going through these teams and kind of seeing everything that they've done in the offseason has been really, really fun. And uh, going through this week's episode the American League West was very fun at well. So kind of before I dive into the American League West, uh, there has been a lot of news within uh, Major League Baseball regarding when the season is going to get started. On my last episode or my last podcast, I had on uh, my special guest Rob Fontenot of Astros Baseball Podcast. And he we had a conversation uh, about a phone call that he received from a representative of the Houston Astros season ticket office. You know, Rob was, uh, or is, I should say, a season ticket holder. And he mentioned that Major League Baseball was looking to start the season around May 11th. Now, it's kind of fitting because this week we have seen Major League Baseball come out and say that they are trying to work out the logistics in getting the season started in May and in Arizona. So kind of the way I understood it right now is that all 30 major league teams are going to play possibly a season in Arizona. And these games are going to be played at various spring training facilities throughout Arizona. Uh, Of course, the games will have empty stadiums and only the players, coaches, staffs, and probably, you know, you've got your, your team broadcasters who will be at these games. When I read this, I got really excited because I was like, okay, baseball is fiction startup. Yes, we can finally have it. And then I kind of started reading into the the details of it and I it doesn't really kind of all jive together. Because one of the things you have to consider is how is this going to work logistically? Uh, with everything that we have going on as far as the social distancing, the uh, you can't congregate in groups no more than 10. Uh, so how is this all going to, going to work? Because there's not going to be that social distancing. There's not going to be uh, – you're going to have big groups because when you include, you know, of course, the players, the coaches, the staff, and then you've got your team broadcasters uh, – Yeah, you're going to have a lot of people. And one of the things that kind of clicked right off the bat is Arizona is hot, especially starting in May. And none of these spring training facilities have roofs. Now, the only stadium in Arizona that has a roof is Chase Field, which is home with the Arizona Dynabacks. And I had another thought is, are they actually going to have all 30 teams playing in that stadium? which clearly is next to impossible um, because you, the field from one is going to get torn up. It's going to be a nightmare, honestly. So then I was listening to MLB radio and they were talking about the dugouts at the spring training facilities are small and that actually some players are actually going to have to sit in the stands, which is gonna, also going to be in the sun in May. Now, the other thing that, that makes this idea ludicrous is the fact that these players' families are not going to be able to accompany them to Arizona. So, this would potentially mean that these players would be away from their families for weeks or maybe months, depending on, on how long the season is. Now, that's uh, when you have guys that especially have just had young young babies that just had babies, you know, they, they kind of want to be able to spend time with them, and it to be apart from them for three and a half to four months, that's going to be tough on the families. I, I, I unless all of a sudden that we are able to, um, uh, get back to, to normal, then I, I honestly don't see how this is going to work out because, you know, I, I applaud it. Major league baseball for trying to work out a way to get the season going, the season going. But honestly, I, I don't believe this is going to be it. Um, now, this is just my opinion, but I really think that Major League Baseball needs to wait it out like other leagues are, are doing. I mean, eventually we're going to have to we're going to have baseball. Uh, it's not going to be the 162 game season. Uh, It's not going to be the things that we're accustomed to. But I honestly think that if we wait it out and start baseball kind of around the the June mark is what I keep saying then we should be able to get maybe 100 games in or so. But we're still going to have to wait and see. We're still going to have to wait a little bit longer. But uh, I think we're still going to have baseball, just not as soon as we hope. So with all that excitement that's happened this week, let's go ahead and jump into the American West. So first I'm going to start off with the Houston Astros because they're the ones that are ultimately going to win this division. So the Houston Astros had the best record in baseball coming in 2019, winning 107 games and coming within at least, I think, seven or eight outs of winning the World Series over the Washington Nationals. The Astros have had a very tough offseason, and I'm kind of putting that in very nicely. A team that was part of a Cinderella story just three years ago before they won their, their, or actually winning their first World Series championship in 2017, Uh, This is a team that rose to the top after having three straight 100 losing game seasons. I know Astros fans are kind of sick of hearing about that. But, I mean, it's you kind of have to kind of lay the foundation. You know, a team that in the early 2010 era uh, traded away stars like Lance Berkman, Hunter Pence, J.D. Martinez. I bet they're wishing they had J.D. Martinez back. Not right now because they've got Jordan Alvarez and that DH, but uh, Martinez kind of went back and he kind of revamped his career mechanically. And then, of course, he signed off, signed with the Boston Red Sox. And, of course, the rest is history on there. But I kind of digress from there. So the Astros made all these these changes. They they traded away their, their, their players. They kind of... Basically, like I was talking about at the beginning, they they tore this organization down, in a way, and built it back up. And of course, it produced a championship team in 2017. Uh, they they did it through the draft. They signed guys like Alex Bregman, George Springer, Carlos Correa. They signed Jose Altuve to a long term deal. You know, former general manager Jeff Luhnow. He made key trades at the at the trade deadlines bringing in Justin Verlander in 2017 and Zach Greinke in 2019. They went out and got Garrett Cole in the offseason 2018. And we kind of flash forward to this season, to this past season, 2019. The Astros had the best rotation in baseball. There's arguably no doubt about it. That it was the best rotation in baseball. So then we kind of find out find out everything that we know now about the Houston Astros, which is why they had a very tough offseason. But I'm not going to go into that again. I I've already expressed my my thoughts on it in my very first episode. But we still seem to keep talking about it here in the future or here in the present. Uh, but all that's in the past now. So we're kind of we're going to move forward in the 2020 season, if there is one. Hopefully there is. Now the Houston Astros are going to be the team that's not only going to win the AOS. Uh, but they're going to be the team to beat throughout the league. Uh, This is a team that has a us against the world mentality approach and will, without a doubt, try to prove everyone wrong. And right now, that is the perfect attitude to have. Um, This Astros team is in the driver's seat to win their second World Series. I believe they would exactly do that here in 2020. Yes, I actually let the cat out of the bag an episode ago. Oh, well. When I go to do my action, my, my playoff bracket, we kind of already know, but I'm not going to get in, into the teams that they're possibly going to face. But anyways, kind of going forward a little bit, you know, the Astros have a lineup that is stacked one through nine. Uh, the question is right now, who's actually going to play right field? It's, is it either going to be Josh Reddick or Kyle Tucker? Uh, Tucker has proved himself, uh, especially last season in triple a, and he continued to do the same after he was called up midseason. Uh, he he kind of was had a, some some good at bats during the playoffs in the World Series. Uh, when you look at this, the right field position, you've got Josh Reddick, who kind of took a step back last season before Tucker was actually called up. But from what I'm hearing, is Reddick is ready to go. He's ready to step up and compete for that that right field position uh you've got an infield that is already set. You've got Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Yuli Gurriel. You know, Bregman, he hit 296 last season, had 41 homers, 112 RBIs. Was a 2019 American League MVP runner-up. Uh you've got both Altuve and Gurriel who hit over 30 home runs each. Um the key offensive right now the question would be how is Carlos Correa? Uh, This is a guy, he has the potential to hit 30 home runs and actually be an MVP candidate. But the thing is, is is his health. Can he remain healthy? Uh, I think if he can, then we're going to see a player that uh, is going to have a potential breakout season. Um, He he just has to stay healthy. Uh, So, kind of talked about the outfield and whoever plays right field whether it's Tucker or Redick uh, can really just go out there and play you've got Michael Brantley and George Springer who will definitely play in their respectful positions in left field and center uh, Springer batted 292 had 39 homers 96 RBIs last season uh, Brantley who, who kind of he's always been Mr. Consistent uh so I expected him for him to do the same thing this season. Uh and then you throw in the Destiny header and your 2019 American League Rookie of the Year, Jordan Alvarez. Uh you know, Alvarez in his short time in the big leagues last season, he batted 313 with 27 home runs and 78 RBIs, And that was all done in 87 games. Not to mention what he actually did in triple A. And from what I I don't have the number in front of me, but from what I hear is, when you combine both AAA and major and the the big leagues, he actually hit over 50 home runs. So, when you look at this lineup offensively, that this is a lineup that will beat you, no matter who's pitching. You throw Yankees and Garrett Cole on the mound, I bet you anything the the, the Astros are going to give Garrett Cole a run for his money. Um, And I like Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is an awesome pitcher. But th- this lineup right here uh, will beat you no matter who is on the mound. Now, with that being said, we kind of have to change gears and go into the pitching rotation. Because this rotation, who last year was the best in the American League and the best in baseball, kind of has some question marks now. Uh, because you still have Rainey Cy Young, Award winner, Justin Verlander, who's going to be your number one, your opening day starter whenever the season kicks up. You've got uh, Verlander, who posted a record of 21-6, and had a 2.58 ERA and 300 strikeouts. Over his career, Verlander has a record of 225 and 129, with a 3.33 ERA and 3,006 strikeouts. So coming into spring training, there were some injury issues that Verlander was battling, uh, which eventually led to him having uh, surgery on his groin. I don't know if he had a lat injury also, if the lat injury is what triggered the groin injury, but I mean, we just don't know. But with this time off now, this should allow Verlander to heal without, I mean, stressing about missing time. So he'll be ready to go. And then you look at this rotation again, of course, with the loss of Garrett Cole, it's going to have a an effect on this rotation. But you've got Zach Greinke, and now you have a healthy Zach, uh, Lance McCullers Jr., uh, who are going to be a very tough one through three part of this rotation. <clears throat> now the question is, who's going to come in in that fourth and fifth starter role? Uh, a lot of what I'm hearing right now is Jose Ucurti. I don't even know if I pronounced that right. I hope I did. Um, anyways, he he made a name for a name for himself in that Game Five of the World Series, and uh, Dusty Baker gets excited when he talks about this guy. So I have I'm pretty confident that he's going to come into that number four starter role. The question is, who's going to come in at number five? Uh, Josh James seems to fit that role. Uh, but the Astros also made a trade and brought in Austin Pruitt from the Tampa Bay Rays. They've got a guy by the name of Brian Abreu who can come in. And I am just just now thought of this, that um, especially down in, in AAA, I was listening to the guys on Locked On Astros, and they're pretty high on this guy Christian Javier, who has uh, the potential to come in at that number five start, uh, starter role. Or you can actually come in and, uh, you know, they're their they're top prospect in force Whitley. Uh, Whitley has kind of had kind of up and down, especially within throughout the minors. I think there was a suspension for PEDs, uh, some injuries, uh, you know, consistency in 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 pitching and his delivery. Uh, I know that pitching coach Brett Strom went back to to Whitley and said, hey, go back to what you did in high school because what he did in high school worked. So Whitley kind of went back and changed his mechanics. We'll kind of see what happens when the season starts. I kind of have him coming in maybe towards the later part of the season. Uh, If we do have a season, he'll maybe one of those September call-ups. But I think once he actually gets into the big leagues, then we're going to see that why he was such that top prospect for the Astros. But when you talk about these guys, when you talk about the Brae the Josh James, the Austin Pruitts, uh, if these guys, if one of these guys does not make that fifth starter role, these guys could come in at a time where, you know, Verlander or Grinke or McCullers Jr. actually needs a day of rest and you can actually put those guys into that starter role because they can actually do that. They can, the arms are there. Um, So that you can be able to give uh Verlander and Grinky McCullers some, some rest, some time off. And then of course you got the bullpen too, and back with Brian Presley and Chris Davinsky, uh, who will solidify this bullpen along with Robert Ozuna. So all in all, the Astros will be on track to win their fourth AO division title. And their second World Series championship in 2020 said it, boom. The Astros are going to be a force to be reckoned with and will be out to prove everyone wrong. So the Astros, that kind of took a little bit longer than I thought it was going to, going to take. So I'm going to take a quick break real quick and then we'll kind of dive into the rest of the division. Hey guys, welcome back. So I took a little extra time on the Houston Astros. So now we're we're going to change gears and kind of break down the rest of the division. Uh, Next up, we got the Oakland Athletics and the Athletics are coming off a season where they won 97 games, but they did lose that wildcard game against the Tampa Bay Rays. So ever since Moneyball came out, the the Athletics are always a team that has the lowest payroll in baseball next to the Tampa Bay Rays. But this is also a team that always makes the postseason. You know, you kind of have to tip your cap to Billy Bean, executive VP of baseball operations for the athletics. For fielding a team on paper, that seems like a non-contender, but every September we're talking about the athletics as a postseason wildcard team. And I'm going to say this, I expect the same thing here in in 2020. I believe that they will be in contention for a division title, but until the Astros start to restructure their payroll, the Athletics will ha- are going to have to settle for a second in the in the division and that wild-card berth. Uh, the only way that the Athletics don't make the postseason in 2020 is if Tampa Bay or the Chicago White Sox have a better season. Uh, I, I kind of rank all three teams to be fairly competitive this season, and all three are going to be postseason teams. Uh just depends on which team has the better season. So this offseason, the Athletics made a couple moves. They did trade pro Profar to San Diego for catcher Austin Allen. Uh, Allen will come in and back up catcher Sean Murphy. The Athletics, Athletics also traded infielder Alfonso Rivas to the Cubs in exchange for infielder outfielder Tony Kemp. Kemp will fit in nicely into that utility role as a player that can play just about every position and can also be a pretty reliable player. Uh, defensive player. Uh, he's also fairly reliable offensively as well. Uh, the Athletics also made sure to reassign shortstop Marcus Simeon and actually left fielder Marcus Canna. Uh, Simeon finished third in the MVP voting last season, behind winner uh, Mark Mike Trout and Alex Bregman. You know, as I'm thinking about this now, all three MVP finalists came out of the American League West. That just goes to show how good this division really is. Simeon batted 285, had 33 home runs, 92 RBIs. You know, Canna had a good season as well. He batted 273, had 26 home runs, 58 RBIs. Uh, the Athletics also have first baseman Matt Olson and third baseman Matt Chapman. Matt squared is what I'm going to call him in this lineup. Olsen batted 267, 36 home runs, and 91 RBIs. Chapman had similar numbers, batting 249, 36 home runs, 91 RBIs. So this lineup can put up numbers and score runs. But the only key of the puzzle is if the Athletics want to go deep into October, they're going to need the pitching. And primarily that pitching is going to have to be in the bullpen. So when we talk about the pitching rotation, the rotation is led by Sean Manaya. maniah did spend most of the season last year on the entry list, and he was able to appear in five games, including that wild card game against Tampa Bay. Manaya has only been in the league 4 years but has a career record of 35 and 28, a 3.77 ERA and 142 102 strikeouts gave him about you know a few more than what he really has. Sorry. But not counting 2019, Manaya has won at least 10 games over the last 2 seasons. So the Athletics are going to need Manaya to remain healthy if they want to go deep in, into the playoffs. Of course, in addition to Manaya the Athletics have Frankie Montas and Mike Fryers as your number two and three starters. Uh, Montas is another young pitcher in this Athletics rotation that will continue to improve. Montas was 92, had a 2.63 ERA and 103 strikeouts last season. As he gets more experience at the major level, I expect his numbers to, to improve. Uh, you've got, you know, of course, the guy Mike Friars who comes off a 2019 season which was probably his best season since he broke into the league back in 2011 with the Milwaukee Brewers, Friars had a record of 15-4, had a 3.90 ERA, and 126 strikeouts. Over his career, Fryers is 69-59 and, 59, is 69 and 59 with a 4.02 ERA and 953 strikeouts. So, the bullpen is the question and the Athletics made sure to resign left-handed reliever Jake Diekmann. Uh Diekmann will give this bullpen some balance, especially when he's called upon in situations where he might have to face a left-handed bat. Look, we all know the Athletics, what they can do, uh, especially on paper. Uh, they have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, but in today's baseball, having the highest payroll doesn't necessarily mean you will win the World Series. Moneyball seems to be working for Billy Bean and the Oakland Athletics. So it will be interesting to see how this season plays out. So don't sleep on the Athletics because they might surprise you. Now, City of Oakland, Oakland County, please build them a new stadium. Please. They need it. Desperately bad. All right. So we're going to kind of keep going into the middle of this division here. And this division can go... Either way, really, especially the middle part of this division, when you've got both the Los Angeles Angels and the Texas Rangers, uh, both teams made improvements this offseason. But if I had to pick a team that was going to finish in the middle of the division, I would say it would have to be the Los Angeles Angels. So the Angels are coming off a season where they won 72 games. If this were going to be a full season, I would expect them to be a team that has improved by about 10 to 12 games. Uh, they were able to sign veteran third baseman Anthony Rendon to a seven-year deal, which was a surprise move because the Angels were actually looking to spend money this offseason and were desperately needing pitching. Uh, Of course, they were rumored to sign pitcher Garrett Cole, who is a hometown uh, native of Los Angeles, Los Angeles area. Uh, Of course, we know Cole ends up signing with the Yankees. The Angels were also rumored to actually sign San Diego native Steven Strasburg. Strasburg re with the Washington Nationals. So the Angels went out and got Rendon, which, don't get me wrong, it's still a great signing, um, You know, especially when you look at teams like the Texas Rangers who are also in the market for a third raceman. Um, the signing of Rendon adds more protection for Mike Trout. Who last season, ran down, hit 319, had 34 home runs and 126 RBIs with the Washington Nationals. Um, you know, and then you throw in Mike Trout. Because you can't talk about the Los Angeles Angels without bringing up Mike Trout. The player that is arguably the best player in the game. He batted 291, had 45 home runs and 104 RBIs in 2019. I've already mentioned this, but... It's worth mentioning again that Mike Trout was named the 2019 American League most valuable player. And he did that while missing 19 games last season. Over his career, Trout has a career record of average of 3.05. He's got 285 home runs and 752 RBIs. I saw something the other day and I, and I don't 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 quote me, but it looks like he if he continues at his current pace he may actually break the home run record. It's still going to be interesting to see uh, depending on when this season gets started because obviously that's going to affect that. But the Angels were able to sign uh, veteran manager Joe Madden, and it's going to be interesting how Madden Madden sets up his lineup, especially defensively at first base and offensively at the designated hitter. You know, at first base, you've got Albert Pujols, excuse me, who's entering his 20th major league season. Usually, typically when a player like Pujols is kind of up there in age, and I'm not saying that he couldn't be an everyday first baseman, but given this his age, teams, especially in the American League, like to see their slugger move into that, that designated hitter role and have another player step in defensively. <clears throat> now, I know that the designated hitter role but when you look at guys like Albert Pujols, J.D. Martinez, and even Hall of Finger, Edgar Martinez, this DH role has the potential to extend players a player's career because it takes the player out defensively but still allows him to have the opportunity to be productive offensively at the plate. So with the Angels, they have the potentially have two players that can fill that designated hitter role. You got Shohei Otani, who can also be that DH. So if you're Joe Madden and you're setting up this lineup card every night, who do you go with? What do you do? You have guys like Pujols, who over his career has batted 300, has 656 home runs, and over 2,000 RBIs, or you have a guy like Otani. Now, the way I see this kind of playing out is that on days that Otani pitches, because Otani is also a pitcher on the on the roster, Pujols will DH. Since the Angels are in the American League, this is possible. Otani will probably be given a day or two rest before jumping into the lineup as a DH. Now, Pujols will play a couple of days at first base. Now, the Angels have both Pujols and Otani in the batting lineup. This should be make, make sure that both guys are getting playing time and also getting rest. Now, I'm not Joe Madden, but this is how I see it playing out in my head. If that doesn't make sense, I'm sorry because. Sometimes I tend to think of one thing, and then when I speak it, it comes out completely different. <clears throat> so pitching wise, it's going to be de- decent this season. Uh, I mentioned Shohei Otani. Otani is coming off Tommy John surgery. Although he did play last season, it was not he was not cleared to pitch due to the surgery. So the Angels last season used Otani as the DH, in which he appeared in 106 games. This will be the first full season that the two-way player will be able to pitch and bat. So right now, as it sits, Otani will not the Angels will not rush Otani back to the mound. There's a lot of changes uh, Major League Baseball made this offseason in regards to the roster limits and the roster in the teams. So the teams will be allowed to have a 26-man roster and will also allow two-way players like Otani to be able to play the next game next day after pitching a game. In Otani's situation, since he will be more than likely to have a few rehab assignments starting in Double A, Otani will be allowed to pitch his minor league game, and then he will be able be be called up to the Angels to be in the lineup the next day as a DH. Typically, when a player goes on a rehab assignment, they must be on assignment for at least 15 days. Well, that's not the case anymore. Otani can be in the lineup for the Angels, and then once he's done, go back down to the minors, pitch his assignment his rehab assignment and can possibly come back up the next week and kind of get back in that designated hitter role. So I know it all sounds confusing, but when we see this go into action, we'll kind of get a better idea of how it's going to to take place. So the Angels were actually able to sign also Julio Tehran to a one-year deal, excuse me, the signing of Tehran will help level out this rotation that had the second-highest ERA last season. Over his career, Tehran is uh, 10-11, 3.81 ERA, 162 strikeouts, all with the Atlanta Braves. The Angels also brought in veteran catcher, uh, Jason Castro, excuse me, to help with this rotation. Castro spent the last three seasons with the Minnesota Twins. So all in all, 2020 is going to be a year that the Angels will be able to build on at least going forward. The signing of Anthony Redon gives this lineup a boost that it needs to be competitive. Mike Trout will still be able to put up numbers, Mike Trout numbers, but the Angels signed Trout to that mega deal in the hopes of building a championship team. But if they want to do that, the Angels are going to actually go out and get pitching. The Shohei Otani Project 2.0, as I call it, may only last for so long but the angels are going to go out and need to get a number one or number two starter to help at least solidify this rotation. Uh, if they don't do this, then this team is actually taking a step back. So it'll be interesting to see what what the Los, Ange- Los Angeles Angels do this off season. So now we jump into the latter port- portion of this division with the Texas Rangers and Seattle Mariners. Um, uh, the Rangers are, will kind of kind of, not be uh, We'll be in fourth in this division, I, I think, a team that won 78 games last season. But this is a completely different team than they were a year ago. The team made major moves this offseason, and it's only fitting that this revamped team gets to show off in their new retractable stadium, Globe Life Park. Now, Globe Life is not a sponsor of this show, but I'm giving them an unofficial plug. If they want to be a sponsor, give me a call. I'm open to it. The stadium was a must for the Rangers, uh, especially when you play in Texas in August. It, it's tough. It's hot. Uh, now, I, I live in Texas myself, and I dread August because that is usually the hottest time of the year. So now both fans and players will be cool during those summer, those hot summer months. The Rangers missed out on trying to land free agents Josh Donaldson and Anthony Rendon. Because that third base position was one that needed to be filled since Adrian Beltre retired back in 2018, but the Angel, the Ranger, excuse me, were able to uh, sign veteran uh, Todd Frazier in 2019. Frazier batted 251, had 21 home runs and 67 R- RBIs with the New York Mets. <clears throat> A lineup that is already stacked. Frazier will, will be able to come in and basically just play. Frazier's a player that can fit in both at first base and third base, um, and then you've got the rest of the infield. You still is still the same with Roof and Adore at second and Elvis Andrews at shortstop. Uh, the Rangers are hoping that Joey Gallo can take off and be that explosive power in the heart of that lineup. Uh, Gallo did bat 253 last season, had 22 home runs and 49 RBIs in only 70 games last season, so his health is a concern that the Rangers will monitor closely. Uh, although the average doesn't reflect it, Gallo did hit over 40 home runs in 2017 and 2018, respectively. These Rangers are going to need Gallo to be productive at the plate and bring in the runs. The Rangers are needing both Daniel Santana and Willie Calhoun to take off. Santana finally broke through in 2019, batting 283 with 28 home runs and 81 RBIs with the Atlanta Braves. Santana has been in the league for six seasons. And 2019 was the first time he actually had double-digit home runs. Uh, 2019 was also good to Willie Calhoun, who batted 269, had 21 homers, 48 RBIs, and 83 games as well <clears throat> with the Rangers. So Gallo, Santana, and Calhoun are the height of the heart of this lineup. I expect all three will be called upon to put runs on the board. Now, the Rangers did lose right-field slugger, no numbers are, but that should not reflect this lineup, especially from an offensive perspective. <clears throat> the Rangers also brought back Robinson Torino's. Uh, Torino's had his best season offensively last season with the Houston Astros. He did bat two thirty eight, had seventeen home runs, and fifty eight RBIs. But Torino's bat is bad. It's not the reason that the Rangers brought him back. The Rangers brought Torino's back to work with this revamped pitching staff. So during this offseason, the Rangers went out and traded for right-handed pitcher Corey Kluber. Kluber sent, uh, actually, excuse me, Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians sent Kluber to Texas in exchange. The Texas Rangers sent outfitter Delano DeShields and pitching prospect Emmanuel Class to the Indians. Excuse me. Now I'm not going to go into the, the specifics of the trade, but clearly the Texas Rangers got the better end of the deal. Kluber comes to Texas after spending most of 2019 on the injured list. In his start last season against the Miami Miami Marlins, Kluber broke his arm, his pitching arm, after taking a line drive. Uh, So he kind of spent the last, I think, ten months that he was on the injured list. But he comes back in the spring with a career record of, excuse me, of 98 and 58, a 3.16 ERA, and. At over almost fifteen hundred strikeouts in nine major league seasons. So prior to his injury, Kluber was coming off a two thousand eighteen season where he was twenty and seven, had a two point eight nine ERA, and twenty two strike and two hundred and twenty two strike. Excuse me. The Rangers are hoping that Kluber can re, re, replicate that season. And I think with that veteran presence, Kluber gives this rotation a boost especially when you add in pitchers Mike Miner and Lance Lynn into the mix. So all in all for the Texas Rangers, look for them to make some noise within this division. There's still a few couple few, few pieces away, but I expect them to be contending for a postseason, possibly wildcard berth uh, coming pretty soon. So lastly, we bring up the end of this, this division with the Seattle Mariners. Now Seattle Mariners, are a team that won 68 games last season, but that's because they're still in reboot, rebuild mode. Uh, they did get off to a hot start in 2019. The Mariners sort of flattened out after the rest of the season, which was to be expected because this team is still relatively young. Of course, health is going to be a concern this season. The Mariners are going to need Kyle Seager to be healthy. Seeger only played in 106 games last season, batted 239, had 23 home runs and 63 RBIs. The 2014 All-Star is hoping to get back to his form in 2020. The Mariners have a young shortstop in J.P. Crawford. Crawford is entering his fourth season in the Major Leagues. Although not a power threat, Crawford does have a knack for getting on base. Posting his 6.84 OPS last season, Crawford looks to do the same here in 2020. Uh, The the Mariners are also hoping that Daniel Vogelbeck will continue to duplicate his 2019 season an all-star. Vogelbeck batted 209, 30 home runs, and 76 RBIs. Now, I know that average doesn't sound appealing, but when you hit 30 home runs in a season, that takes notice. So that's still a great accomplishment to be an all-star but still have an average that's kind of subpar. Uh, the Mariners are hoping that Vogelbeck will kind of continue uh, as he gains more experience within uh, the big leagues and, and and go from there. So this Mariners' pitch and rotation is young. Uh, let's say if the season started say the Seattle Mariners would have a rotation that would consist of Markham Gonzalez, Yusei Kiguchi, Taiwan Walker, Justice Sheffield, and Kendall Grayman. When we combine the service time of each of these pitchers, it averages out to around five years. Aside from Tehan Walker, this rotation lacks both depth and experience. The Mariners brought back Walker, who pitched for the Mariners from 2013 to 2016 on a one-year deal. Walker spent the last three seasons with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Career-wise, Walker has a record of 31-31, with a 3.95 ERA and 478 strikeouts. Now the bullpen for the Mariners is young, but it does have the ability to be effective when needed. So all in all, the Seattle Mariners are going to be continue, are going to continue to follow that moneyball approach and keep rebuilding rebuilding this organization from the ground up. The Mariners want to end their postseason drought, and I don't blame them, uh, since they won that record 116 games back in 2001 losing to the New York Yankees in the ALCS, the Mariners have not been the po- been back to the postseason. Unfortunately, they will have a at least a couple more seasons before they will actually get their possible postseason berth. All right, guys. Well, I am out of ep- out of time for this episode. I kind of went a little bit longer than I normally do. But I hope wherever you're listening that you and your families are safe and well. Hopefully, we'll have some baseball back soon. But until then, keep we'll keep talking some baseball. So be sure just to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Please take care, and remember to always stay positive. Take care, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Rip Griffin Show. Make sure to subscribe to the show on all the major podcast platforms. Follow Rip on Twitter at RipGriffin2.